Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this Good Friday. We thank you for our Lord Jesus sacrificed on the cross for us, that his blood may wash us clean of our sin, of all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to your word, we we ask you, we ask you for your spirit to move our hearts, to hear your word truly. Help us live the cross in our lives as we gather here today and as we go forth later. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Those words kept ringing through Peter's head. When Jesus first told Peter those words, Peter didn't understand what he meant. Wasn't he already following Jesus? Wasn't he already denying himself since he gave up his job, his life, his family, his livelihood, all of that to follow Jesus? And what was this cross that Jesus kept talking about? But now, today, on this bloody and gruesome Friday, what Jesus meant by cross was crystal clear. For Peter had just seen Jesus on that cross. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those words kept ringing through Peter's head. Night had fallen, but he could not sleep. You see, that image was stuck in his head. That image of Jesus stumbling towards Gogata, stumbling towards the place of the skull, his side lined with gaseous, leaking blood marking out the way that Jesus walked. Peter could not help but notice that as Jesus stumbled and limped, his eyes were fixed on moving forward, on walking the way of suffering that God had laid out for him. And just behind Jesus, behind Jesus, was Simon from Cyrene. Simon who had been tasked to carry Jesus' cross, to follow Jesus' way, following that line of blood. Peter, Peter wondered, was Simon God's way of rebuking him? Was Simon God's way of telling him off? Was God asking Peter, Peter, why was it this Simon that had to carry Jesus' cross? Why was it not you, Simon Peter, that carried your master's cross? Wasn't it to you, Simon Peter, 
that Jesus had said those words, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, Peter knew where he had been. He had been cowering behind the crowd, afraid of suffering, afraid of a servant girl, afraid of walking the way of the cross that Jesus walked. And those words, he now couldn't get out of his head because he knew what those words meant. He knew those words meant that any disciple of Jesus has to suffer for Jesus. He knew that anyone who chooses to walk the way of Jesus has to walk the way of the cross. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Peter didn't, knew, didn't know whether or not he could do it. Peter didn't know whether or not he was willing to walk the way of suffering. But you know what? Maybe it didn't matter anymore. It, maybe it didn't matter anymore now that Jesus was dead. Maybe nothing mattered anymore. And so with that final thought, Fear and despair drew Peter into sleep. And as he closed his eyes, he heard for one last time those words, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Brothers and sisters, no one knows, of course, what Peter thought that night, that first Good Friday night. But what we do know is that Jesus didn't stay dead. And so those words that Jesus told Peter, those words, they matter. They matter because they matter for all of us who choose to follow the way of the risen Jesus, that suffering way of the risen Jesus. For if we call this Friday good, if we look upon that cross and we call that good, then when Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and follow him, those words must matter to us. You see, they, they mattered to the early church. For example, many years after the crucifixion, Peter, he, he wrote a letter to some Christians in Bithynia, Cappadocia, Asia, places that we will call Turkey today. That letter that he wrote to them, we call it First Peter. And in First Peter, Peter writes to a church that is suffering for Jesus. Just as Jesus predicted. And we know this because in 1 Peter, 
Peter says that they have already been grieved. They have already been grieved by many trials. And as though that was not enough, Peter says that they should not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon them, as though something strange were happening to them. But thankfully, the Peter that writes this letter, he's a little bit older and wiser. He's an elder, a pastor, a shepherd. And so he doesn't tell the congregation or tell us to just grin and bear with it. Instead, he wants to help us to embrace suffering for Jesus. He wants us to rejoice when we are counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. My friends, he wants you to be willing to walk the way of suffering for Jesus. And so this is what he writes in his letter in chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. I read from the New International Version, the NIV, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. You can read the text on the screen. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. The pagans are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless while living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living dead. As we look at these verses, we can see indeed that Peter wants to teach all of us to be willing to suffer for Jesus, to embrace suffering for Jesus. For Peter says in verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. In other words, since Jesus had suffered on the cross, we must have the same attitude as Jesus, being willing to suffer like he did. In fact, Peter puts this even more strongly. He says, arm yourselves with the same attitude as Jesus. Arm yourselves with the same willingness to suffer like Jesus. Arm yourself. So friends, we are not called to simply passively accept suffering for Jesus. We are not called to be half-hearted Christian soldiers who reluctantly sign up for spiritual war. And we are certainly not called to be blur as sotong recruits who are confused and perplexed 
when suffering comes our way, we are called to arm ourselves. It is active, it is intentional, it is deliberate, it is discipleship. But maybe you are asking in your mind, well, I understand I'm now called to arm myself, but what does the willingness to suffer look like? How do I go about arming myself? Well, good question. Let me show you. Can you just imagine this with me? Imagine you are part of a company of soldiers, a band of soldiers. You have been tasked to protect a precious golden treasure. But this company of soldiers is small and weak. You are tired and you are hungry. And you are surrounded by hordes of brutish and bloodthirsty barbarians bearing down upon you. This tiny band of brothers. And as the barbarians come, you hear someone shout, arm yourselves, arm yourselves. And so what do you do? You take up your sword, you're ready to fight. But all around you, you see your fellow soldiers casting away their weapons, disarming themselves, dropping their swords, their spears, their axes and their knives. And then you see one lone soldier in your midst walk forward with that precious golden treasure and then throw it away. What what is happening here? What is this? You see, arming yourself to suffer is not about fighting back against those who make us suffer. Arming yourself to suffer is done by active surrender. We arm ourselves by putting our arms down. The paradox of the cross is that Christian soldiers arm themselves by disarming themselves. And as we disarm ourselves, we learn to stop protecting. We learn to stop protecting all those so-called treasures that this world tells us are precious and valuable. Instead, we learn to throw them away, give them over for the sake of the gospel. You may be asking, what are some of these treasures? Well, it could be our money. We learn to willingly suffer by giving away our money to help those who are needy and poor, so that they may see the gospel in action. It could be our rights, our human rights. We learn to be willing to suffer when we willingly give out our right to security, to security, so that we can enter into dangerous places to share the gospel. It could even be our face face. When we evangelize, are we willing to share the shameful things from our past so that men may see that it is not me but Christ who has rescued me? My friends, we can only truly say 
I am not ashamed of the gospel when we are ready to be shamed for the gospel. Some of you may be thinking, this is madness. This is impractical. And to that, I think Peter says, that's what Jesus did. For on the night of the cross, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus armed himself by disarming himself. When Judas came to arrest Jesus, Judas with his band, armed to the teeth with swords and a club, Jesus disarmed himself. And everyone in this world would have picked up a sword to fight, but their master told the disciples, he told them this, Do you not think I cannot call upon my father and he will at once send 12 legions of angels? My friends, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And in doing so, Jesus surrendered what most of us will consider to be the most precious treasure we have life, all for the sake of fulfilling the gospel. And if our master armed himself with the willingness to suffer by disarming himself, how can we, his disciples, do any less? You see, that's why Peter tells us to be willing to suffer, but he wants to tell us that he tells us to arm ourselves with the same attitude the same attitude as Jesus. Because Jesus is the best example of how we embrace suffering as a means to the gospel end. And so, my friends, when we are cursed for the gospel, like Jesus, we bless. When we are persecuted for the gospel, Like Jesus, we endure. When we are slandered for the gospel, like Jesus, we speak kindly. Like Jesus, we arm ourselves with the willingness to suffer by disarming ourselves, by no longer protecting anything that this world calls precious, all for the sake of the gospel. My friends, this is what it means to arm yourself with the willingness to suffer. So arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the attitude of Jesus. As I said earlier, Peter wants his fellow Christians to really learn to embrace suffering. So Peter is not content with merely giving one reason for why we must be willing to walk the way of suffering. So Peter gives us another reason to embrace suffering in verses 1 and 2. Peter says this, Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. In other words, When we are willing to suffer, we express our commitment to God's way 
we express our commitment to make a clean break with sin. You see, Peter puts this across clearly. He says, if you are willing to suffer in the body, you are done with sin. You have said no to the way of sin. You have told sin, you are no longer my master. Instead, you are now living for the will of God, the purposes of God. And of course, we should be careful here. We should be careful here. Because the text is surely not saying that if you are willing to suffer for Jesus, somehow now you become immune from sin. Somehow now all your sin has disappeared. That is not what the text is saying. And surely even Peter, the one who writes these words, cannot claim that. For you know Peter, you have been hearing about Peter in all our sermons on Acts. You know he was preaching the gospel boldly and he was thrown into prison for that. For that, that suffering Peter, he's also the same sinful Peter of Galatians 2. Of Galatians 2. In Galatians 2, Peter ostracizes the Gentile Christians because he is afraid of the Jewish Christians. You see, suffering for Jesus didn't immunize Peter from sin. And it won't immunize us as well. Having said that, what Peter is saying in this text is that our willingness to suffer for Jesus makes clear to us whether or not we are truly committed to Him. For my friends, we have a problem as fallen human beings. When we look at ourselves, when we look at ourselves, our vision is blurry. Our hearts, they are foggy and cloudy. And so it is very easy to cheat yourself into thinking that you are a committed Christian when you are drinking a latte in a hipster cafe. But when the way is long and full of jagged rocks, you can then see your faith for what it truly is. So if you really, if you really want to know if you live for Jesus or for sin, look into the mirror of suffering. Pick up that mirror of suffering and look full face into it. See your faith for what it is. And might I suggest, might I humbly suggest that today, tonight, we might want to lift up this mirror and look at ourselves, GBC, that mirror. When we look into that mirror, what proof, what evidence will we see that we here in GBC are truly committed to Jesus? When we look into that mirror, will we see a community that although is right now struggling with many changes, we are still loving and patient with one another? Because that is what Jesus taught us. Will we see Christians who although we struggle with our past hurt, we are still committed to forgiving and loving each other? Because Jesus told us that the way of love will never fail. Will we see a church that although we are struggling to pay for a church building, we are still
still willing to give self-sacrificially to the needy people in MacPherson. Because Jesus told us to love others more than he told us to love ourselves. Our willingness to suffer for Jesus makes clear to us our commitment to him. But my brothers and sisters, woe to us. Woe to us. If someone looks at that mirror, looks at us through that mirror, and what they see conflicts with what we say, woe to us. If we say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, but they see a congregation unwilling to partake in evangelism, unwilling to deal with our fear of rejection, unwilling to be embarrassed to save the lost. My friends, woe to us if we say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, but they see a church unwilling to suffer for ministry, unwilling to be hurt to love others, unwilling to do the hard task of forgiveness. Woe to us if we say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, but they see a church ashamed of serving till it hurts, of loving till it hurts. Brothers and sisters, we must walk the way of suffering for Jesus because that is how we can truly say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Only if the way of the cross is our way of life can we make clear our commitment to Jesus. Now, so far, we have seen two reasons why we must be willing to suffer for Jesus. First, because it is Jesus' own way. Second, because it makes clear our commitment to Jesus. Now, Peter gives us a third reason in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, For, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. In other words, we must be willing to walk the way of suffering or we have already spent too much time walking the way of the world. Peter is saying to the Christians, it is time to embrace the lifestyle of your master for you have spent too much time living like the world. My friends, we need to open our ears to hear Peter's words clearly for ourselves. It is too easy for us to look at a verse like verse 3 and say, I don't live in debauchery. <laughs> I don't last. I, I don't get drunk. I don't carouse and I certainly don't participate in orgies. This doesn't apply to me. And to be honest, when I read this text, 
that is my temptation as well. This doesn't apply to me. But, but I wonder, I wonder, what Peter would say to me were he alive today? I, I wonder what Peter might say to me if he looked at the church in Singapore today. Might Peter say this to me or perhaps say this to us? Might he say something like this? My friends, yes, you don't lust, you don't get drunk, you don't carouse, you don't participate in orgies. But can't you see that what I, Peter, am trying to say in this letter is that all these things have to do with how we please ourselves. You see, things like lust, drunkenness, idolatry, all these things are about me, myself, and I. I lust for me. I get drunk for me. I idolize for me. So even for me, Peter, in my ancient Greco-Roman society, no one worships idols for the idol's sake. We worship the idols to get something for ourselves. But what is true of my society so many years back? Might it be true of your society as well? For when I, Peter, I look at you, I'm worried. Yes, yes, you may not get drunk. But are you intoxicated with comfort, with success? Yes, you may not last. But do your hearts burn with desire for your own glory in studies, in career? And yes, you don't bow down to idols. But do you kneel at the altar of power and money? Because if you do, I have to say the same thing I told those Christians many years ago to you, which is, you have spent enough time choosing to do what Singaporeans choose. But, but, but please don't get me wrong. I, 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 Peter, I'm not one in a position to judge because I am human too. I, I get affected by people living around me. You see, many years ago when I was following Jesus, I, I didn't last, I didn't get drunk, I didn't go to orgies. But I certainly idolized and was lustful of power and position. That's why I was so upset with James and John when they went up to Jesus and asked to sit at his right hand and his left hand. Those were positions of power, of status, and I wanted that for myself. But my master told me the same thing I believe he tells you today. Stop living like everyone else. Stop living like the Gentiles do. Spend enough time doing what pagans choose to do. I, I, I'm worried because when I, Peter, I, I look at myself, then I, could, I can see how selfish I was then. And I worry because when I look at you, I'm worried 
that you may be blind, you may be blind to your own selfishness. Because when I look at Singapore, I see an air-conditioned nation. And my, my worry is that in Singapore, we also have air-conditioned Christians who are more comfortable with success than with sacrifice. Look around you. In Asia, missionaries struggle with poverty. Why is this the case when we in Singapore are so rich? Could it be because Singapore Christians are unwilling to suffer the loss of the security of their bank accounts to give freely to their brothers who are serving the nations? Or let's look at Macpherson. There are many poor and needy people there. Do you know them? If you don't know them, is it because you are unwilling to suffer the loss of your comfort, to step out of your air-conditioned cars? Or even look at GBC, because there are many people struggling with loneliness in their ministries. Is it because you are unwilling to step out, unwilling to suffer the loss of your comfort to serve alongside them? If so, my Singaporean friends, you have spent too much time doing what Singaporeans choose to do. And I, Peter, I say to you, it is time to stop. It is time to stand beside your brothers and sisters all the world around, those who willingly walk the way of suffering for Jesus. It is time to remember what Jesus said to me, Peter, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Brothers and sisters, all of us, all of us, myself included, Wenpin included, all of us need to open our ears to hear Peter's words clearly today. For verse 3 clearly says that we must be willing to walk the way of suffering because we have spent, I have spent too much time doing what Singaporeans choose to do. We need to stop. And only when we are willing to walk the way of suffering for Jesus can we start to learn how to abandon, to throw away that foolish Singaporean lifestyle. So the third reason why we must be willing to suffer for Jesus is because we have spent too much time already living for this world. Let us now see the last reason for why we must embrace suffering for Jesus. In verse 4, Peter says, The pagans are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. So the last reason why we must be willing to walk the way of suffering is because suffering is the sure result, the guaranteed result of walking God's way. 
Specifically, in verse 4, the kind of suffering that Peter is talking about is abuse, slander. Christians who want to walk God's way must be prepared to suffer verbal abuse. Our holiness will leave us full of bullet holes. You see, the early church experienced this firsthand. When the early church proclaimed that it would only worship Jesus and Jesus alone as Lord, Roman society called them godless people, ungodly people. This is because in Roman society, godliness means that you worship all of the Roman gods. Or when the early church decided to look past social status, look past social class, embrace anyone from any background, and so they called each other brother and sister. Roman society charged them with incest. And even when the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper, that symbol of the Lord's body broken, the Lord's blood spilt, guess what? Roman society accused them of cannibalism. And in this way, the early church was flogged verbally as sure as Jesus was flogged physically. And likewise, we in Singapore, we ourselves will experience this in some fashion as well. You see, when my colleagues in the past, they set up Bible study groups that will only and strictly only meet up during their personal lunch hours, they were accused of bringing religion to work. When I myself tried to avoid going for optional tea breaks with my colleagues because I found that the conversation was always just talking bad about my boss. I was labelled as antisocial. And when Christians give self-sacrificially to the work of the gospel, society calls us mindless drones, brainwashed to giving away their heart earned money. You see, suffering the slings and arrows of pointed tongues is the destiny of every Christian. If this is true, if suffering is the guaranteed result of walking Jesus' way, then, then if we are not willing, if we don't want to suffer for Jesus, what will we end up doing? We will end up taking the easy way, the way to death. So rather than the way to life, the way of suffering, we will end up taking the easy way instead. The easy way, for example, is the way of Judas, who didn't want to suffer for Jesus. And so he sold Jesus off for 30 pieces of silver. And in so doing, Judas sold away his gift of eternal life. The easy way is the way of Ananias and Sapphira, which we have been studying in the book of Acts, who wanted all the glory of generosity, but refused to suffer the austerity that comes with giving your possessions away. They also sold away their gift of eternal life. 
the easy way, the way of the rich ruler, the rich ruler. The rich ruler went to Jesus and asked, how shall I inherit eternal life? Jesus looked at him and said, sell away your possessions, give it to the poor, and come, follow me. But the ruler was extremely sad, for he was extremely rich. So he refused to sell, he refused to suffer, and in doing so, he sold away his gift of eternal life. My friends, are we going to sell off our gift of eternal life? That free gift given to us by Jesus' blood? Or will you be willing to walk the way of suffering to eternal life? Jesus tells us, enter through the narrow gate. For the way is broad and the gate is wide that leads to destruction. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and feel Few people will find it. So be willing to walk the way of suffering for Jesus because all who walk the way to life, to eternal life, will suffer. We cannot have Jesus' salvation without Jesus' suffering. Let me summarize. Peter has taught us to arm ourselves with the willingness to suffer. And he gives us four good reasons to do so. First, because Jesus did so himself. Second, because it expresses our commitment to Jesus. Third, because it's time for us to stop living like the pagans do. And fourth, because suffering is the guaranteed result of following God's way. Those Four reasons are why we must be willing to suffer for Jesus. Let me conclude now. My friends, it may be fun, a little bit fun, it may be a little bit stimulating to think about what Peter was thinking about that first Good Friday night. And it may be very interesting to think about what Peter might say to us if he were alive today. But for now, can I suggest that it's more important for us to think about the Lord's Supper that we are about to celebrate. You see, as we think about the Lord's Supper, Jesus commands us to remember his death. We are called to remember his body broken. We are called to remember his blood spilt. And as we remember that, we remember that Jesus was willing to walk the way of suffering. And likewise, we, his disciples, we must be willing to walk the way of suffering as well. The Lord's Supper also causes to suffer for Jesus. But perhaps, even as I'm bringing this sermon to a close, maybe a few of you are still thinking, this sermon is nuts. Crazy. This, this preacher is crazy. But who wants to embrace suffering? To what gain? To what benefit? 
Might I suggest that the answer is in the Lord's Supper? Because in the very last verse of our passage today, Peter says this, the pagans will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Please remember those words. He who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, the Lord's Supper doesn't just look back to the cross. It looks forward as well to a grand feast. That feast we will have in heaven. And at that feast, Jesus will be there. His side will no longer be stained red by blood, but lined with gold. His hands, they they will no longer be pierced with nails, but will be holding a scepter of power. His brow will no longer be topped by a crown of thorns, but with the crown of a king. King Jesus is suffering will be long gone. But the throne of the king will last forever. And on that day, as Peter says, King Jesus will judge the living and the dead. On that day, every tear, every sigh, every shout of agony that you give for King Jesus will be rewarded. On that day, people will look upon those who have suffered for Jesus and call them blessed. On that day, all of us who willingly walked the way of suffering for Jesus will reign in glory Him forever and ever. My friends, that is why we embrace the way of suffering. For our suffering way of life is also our glorious way to life. But for now, for now, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, let us remember those words that Jesus said so long ago. If anyone will come after me, let him die himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Let us pray. My friends, before I close in prayer, I would like to give you a minute to silently meditate and prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper. Friends, we do not want to take the Lord's Supper lightly. So I urge you to confess the sin that is in your heart and repent. And yes, repentance may feel uncomfortable and it may even feel like suffering, but that is the way of life that we are called to. So let us now meditate for a minute.